If you'll take the Word of God with me tonight and be finding the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34, we'll begin there and we'll get over to Joshua chapter 1 in just a moment. I'll tell you what, I've enjoyed being in church tonight. The music has been tremendous. I've enjoyed being here. The testimonies were stirring and I appreciate that song. I hope that is your prayer and that you are willing to be sent by God anywhere that He would want to send you. Here am I, Lord, send me. And then I appreciate so much as well, Brother Smith. I don't know if you knew this. I've said it a few times, but And Can It Be is my favorite hymn. And I could enjoy singing that before I preach each and every time I get up to preach. So rich with doctrinal, biblical truth. I just think of that last verse. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all of Him is mine. I don't have to face the judgment of God because I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. As we come to... Deuteronomy tonight, as I'm looking at the clock, I have about 12 minutes to finish this sermon to be on time. I promise you that's not going to happen. But I will promise, if you'll listen carefully, I'll preach quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 34, we come to a transition that's taking place in the life of Joshua. And we're going to begin reading. We'll pick it up in Deuteronomy 34, beginning in verse number 7. The Bible says, And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, and his eyes were not dim, nor his natural face abated, force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses." And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. And in all the, that the mighty hand, and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. Joshua chapter 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness... And this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8, very familiar verse. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. Have, I not, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. 
Let's pray and we'll jump into the Word of God tonight. Father, we love You. Thank You for the blessing it's been to be in Thy house already this evening. Now, Father, as we look into Thy Word, I pray that Thy Holy Spirit would move throughout our midst, that You would open our understanding of Thy Word. God, help me as I preach. I need Your strength, Your wisdom, Your guidance. And speak to our hearts when it comes time for the invitation. May we all respond according to how You've dealt with us through the message. And we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to the end of Deuteronomy, the beginning of the book of Joshua, and what we find is there is a transition taking place. Joshua's life is about to change entirely. His world is about to be turned upside down. I've titled the message, Lessons Learned When when Your Life Changes. Lessons Learned When Life Changes. Up until this point, we know several things about Moses. Moses was God's man. He was the man of God to the nation of Israel. He is the man whom God saw fit to allow to rise up and deliver God's people out of Egyptian bondage. Moses was a man, the Bible said, who knew God face to face. He had a unique privilege that very few have ever had. He was able on several occasions to talk to God face to face. We remember as we read through Exodus where he would go and spend time with God, he would come back to the people and his face would shine that he would have to put a veil over his face because the people feared him because he had been in the presence of God. He was a man who by his own hands, God used and he saw through him God's power to do miracles, to do plagues in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh. We see that he was the man that was accountable for and responsible spiritually for the entire nation of God's people. Now, you can imagine that he had quite the responsibility over a million people that he was the leader of, he was the spiritual leader of, he was responsible for teaching them the law, teaching them the Word of God. He was the man who was able to spend time with God and God gave to him and entrusted to him the Ten Commandments. He was, again, an outstanding man of God. He was a uniquely blessed man of God. Anybody that can take a stand and lead a nation of millions of people and not bend, not bow, not break, not compromise, that's a man worth looking at. That's a man worth following. Now, we understand Moses was not a perfect man. He did have his ups and downs. We know that he smote the rocks when he was not supposed to, and because of his sin, God judged him. He felt the consequence. He was unable to go into the promised land himself, so he paid the consequence of his sin. But for the most part, Moses was a man who had great success. He was a man who lived the Christian life and lived it well. And now the Bible tells us as we come to this portion that Moses is now gone off the scenes. Verse 7 says, when he was 120 years old, Moses died. And God saw fit to raise up Joshua, the son of Nun, to become Moses' successor. He is the man now that all the eyes and all the attention are going to be upon. He is the man that is responsible for filling the shoes that Moses had left. Talk about somebody that you don't want to follow after. Can you imagine trying to take over and be the spiritual leader that Moses was? And yet that was God's plan for Joshua. Joshua was called by God to be the next leader spiritually over the nation of Israel as well as to lead them into battle, to lead them 
just in general. Some things we can observe about Joshua. The Bible says in verse 9 that he was a man that was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Moses had laid his hands upon him. Moses recognized that there was something unique about Joshua. He had a calling upon his life. God had chosen him. That calling was um, brought to light in verse 1 of chapter 1. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun. And as we go through chapter 1 of Joshua, we find God begins to give instruction to Joshua. He begins to tell him, this is how you are going to lead my people. This is what you're going to have the privilege of doing. Moses was unable to lead them to the promised land. You will be the one that will allow them to take possession of the land. He begins to give Joshua the admonition and great encouragement. Now, I have no idea what emotions Joshua might have been feeling in this moment. Joshua had been around the nation of Israel for many years. He was he had been involved in this thing the entire time Moses was around. He walked in the wilderness. He walked in the deserts. He saw the Lord in the cloud and the pillar of fire by night. He watched the miracles. He stood by Moses day in and day out. He knew what he was going to be doing to take Moses' spot. He knew the people. He knew that they were a stiff-necked people. He was there and he watched as Moses came down from the mount and they had made a false idol of a golden calf and began to rebel and revolt against God. He saw the many times that Israel just lashed out and murmured and complained against their leader. He knew the job that he had and it was not an easy one and yet it was his calling. It was what God had given him to do. His life is about to change. And we see here that God is giving Joshua a strong admonition, a strong word of encouragement. Again, I don't know his emotions about this. However, I do know that every word God gives to you and I is on purpose. God has intention behind every word in the Bible. And I think there is a specific reason that God saw fit to spend most of this chapter giving words of encouragement, words of admonition to Joshua. Because God knew if Joshua was going to be successful, if he was going to finish well, if he was going to be the Christian that God had called him to be, the leader that God called him to be, there's some lessons that he had to learn. We're going to spend our time primarily in verse number 9 this evening. And I want you to see the lessons that Joshua had to learn. And these lessons can be applied to each and every one of our lives if we're going to be the man or the lady that God has called us to be. Notice with me in verse number 9, the Bible says, Have not I commanded thee? Right off the bat, we understand that God, as He is speaking to Joshua with encouraging words, with admonition, He is not making suggestions. He's not trying to coax Joshua saying, Would you please just toughen up a little bit? Would you please develop a little bit of a backbone? I would really like it if, if you would be strengthened in these areas. No, God says, I have commanded thee. These are not suggestions. These are the commands of God. He says, I have commanded you to do these things, to apply these lessons to your life. And I say again, as we look at these things, let's place ourselves in Joshua's shoes. For the rest of the sermon, I want you to pretend like you are Joshua and you are about to take on one of the greatest tasks of your life. This was a great task. It was a God-called task. And God is telling Joshua, if you're going to do this, if you're going to do it well, you must learn these things. I am commanding you, do these things. Number one, he says, be strong. Be strong. Have not I commanded thee to be strong? 
God is telling Joshua, this is not a suggestion. This is not something that I would like to see happen if you have the time. God says, you need this. This is necessity. This is important. You must be strong. That word strong has the idea of to fasten upon, to be constant, or to be established. Joshua, as a leader over a million people, would have to be established to be strong in order to not bow, not bend, not break, not compromise, to stand firm as the man of God that the people needed for him to be. And so God tells him, you are to be strong. I believe as we look at this, we can find several areas in which Joshua would need to be strong in order to lead this people. Number one, I see that if Joshua is going to lead the people, he must be established. He must be strong in the Word of God. He has to know and have confidence in and walk according to the Word of God. If you're going to lead anybody, if you're going to be a spiritual leader whatsoever, then you must be established in your Bible. You must know the Word of God. And God tells him this right off the bat. If you look in verse 8, the Bible says, This book of the law, what is that? That's the Bible. Shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. God comes to Joshua and says, Listen, the only way that you will prosper in my will, the only way that you will be able to have success in that which I am asking and calling you to do is if you will be established in the Word of God. It should not depart out of your mouth. Every time you speak, every time you address the people, it should never be your words, your opinions, your thoughts. It must be God's words, God's thoughts. It shall be in your mouth. You should meditate on the Word of God day and night because that is the only way to prosper, the only way to be established. By the way, each of us have been called to serve the Lord. We are servants of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We must, in our Christian walk, it's not enough just to be saved. It's not enough just to get an insurance or a ticket out of hell. We must be established in the Word of God if we are to do anything that is pleasing to God. Our level of effectiveness as believers, as we want to reach our country. We want to reach our world. We want to reach our city of Ocala. We want God to bless our missions conference. We want God to bless in our church services every time we gather together. But understand, as a believer, you and I are only as effective as we are established in the Word of God. You can be the most talented person in the room. You can have all of the aptitudes. You can have the electric personality. But if you do not have the Word of God, then your talents and your abilities are nothing but a waste. It is the Word of God that will change lives. It is the Word of God that will give us the power that we need to do the work of God. As we look in the New Testament, there's a certain man in the New Testament named Apollos. The Bible says in Acts 18 and verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. You know, I, I often think about this man, Apollos, a man for the Holy Spirit of God, depend in the Word of God, that he was a man that was mighty in the Scriptures. You know, that's strong language for God to say, He is mighty in my 
Word, in my doctrine, in his Bible. What that means is Apollos was a man not only who knew the Word of God, but he was able to articulate it very well to others. He not only could read his Bible and gain understanding for his own life, but he was a man who was, who was mighty in the Scriptures. He knew how to tell others. He knew how to teach others. He knew how to get in his devotions in the morning, gain spiritual truth that helped him, and then give it out to somebody else. By the way, that's what we are called to to do. Each and every one of us labor in the vineyard of Christ. We are to give out and be teachers of the Word of God. The pastor should stand behind the pulpit and preach the Word. The Sunday school teacher should teach the Word. But guess what? Every believer, every layman, every person in a pew in church that is saved by the grace of God is to teach the Word of God. We have to come to a place to where we are close enough to God spiritually. We've walked with God in His Word that we not only can understand it, but we know how to give it out. Listen to me. We need to give the Word of God out. Fathers ought to be teaching their families. Mothers ought to be teaching their children. You and I ought to be teaching our friends the Word of God. We live in a biblically illiterate society because God's people have stopped teaching the Word of God. We need to give it out. It's not just for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It is for every day of our lives. The Word of God is what will prosper you. It is what will give you success in this life. Paul says, I want to fight a good fight. I want to finish well. I want to have success. I want God to look on me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But my effectiveness for Christ is only as good as I am established in His Word. Again, I can be the most talented person in the room, but one of these days, my talents will fall short. If I am relying upon myself, my talent, my ability, my personality will always fall short. It will never make up for a lack of time in the Word of God. I believe today that there are preachers that stand in the pulpit week in and week out, and what we find is they stand there without any power, without any influence, because they're going through motions. They've lost their time in the Word of God, walking with God. And they stand up in their talents and in their abilities because they have great personalities. They've been given talents to be able to speak. And I say again, we're not seeing lives changed. We're not seeing the calls of Christ go forward. Why? Because our talents and our abilities will never make up for a shortcoming of being established in the Word of God. It's what changes our lives. By the way, you and I are living, breathing organisms, are we not? We are people. You and I must partake daily of food and sustenance in order to have strength to do what we do. We must eat. We must have uh, nutrients in our bodies in order to function as we should function. And it doesn't matter if you take a professional football player, a professional basketball player, and you take the most talented person on the field or on the court, somebody that can just, on a court, they can score on anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. They can handle the ball better than anybody else. And it does not matter how talented they are. If they were to get themselves in a situation where they became malnourished, their talent and their ability to handle a ball would never make up for their lack of strength because they have deprived their body of the necessities that it needed. 
You know, the Word of God is likened unto bread. We ought to partake as children of God of the living bread of the Word of God every single day in our lives. We need it. We have to feed on it if we're going to be strengthened spiritually to do the work in the will of God. Again, I can be talented. I can have abilities. I can know what I'm doing. And I can know how to present the Gospel better than anybody. But if I neglect my necessary, my daily food in the Word of God, then my abilities will never make up for a lack of my soul and my spirit being malnourished. I will be weak spiritually. God is telling Joshua, you are going to be the leader. You're going to step into Moses' shoes. You are going to have the great and the high honor of leading God's chosen people. But there's a lesson you must learn. You must be strong. You must be established in the Word of God in order to have great success. I see a second thing here. Not only would uh, Joshua need to be established in God's Word, but secondly, he would need to be established to be strong in the Lord. We see time and again, just multiple times through the Bible, the phrase, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. God tells us time and time again that our strength is to be found in Jesus Christ. It is to be found in God Almighty. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, we know the verse, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not my might, not my power, but by God's power, by His might. By the way, you will never be strong in the Lord until you are first strong in the Word of God. The one builds upon the other. It's in the Bible that I can see the character of God. It's in the Bible that I read about the holiness of God. It's in the Bible that His sovereignty is revealed unto me. Once I am established in the Bible, once I've moved beyond the milk of the Word to the meat of the Word, and God begins to reveal His character to me, then we can become strong in the Lord. What does that mean, be strong in the Lord? It has the idea of being fully confident in who He is, being convinced that He is God Almighty, that He is sovereign and holy and just, and I can trust Him with my life. I can depend upon Him in every situation, in every circumstance, in every decision. I am convinced that He is my God. And He is worthy of my praise, my worship. He is worthy of my submission and my surrender. He is God. When we get to the place to where we learn that it's not about me, it's not about myself, it's all about God, and I can fully depend upon Him. I can take my hands off of my life and place my life in His hands. Then we learn what it is to be strong in the Lord. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Again, it has to be by the power of God. Joshua was just a man, just like you and I. He has faults, he has failures, he has times of weaknesses. He's not a perfect man. He was a sinful man, just like all of us are. And he in and of himself is insufficient to do the will of God. He is not sufficient to be the leader that those people needed for him to be. If they were to watch Joshua, and Joshua were to spend just one day walking in his own power, having neglected God, they would be set up for failure. They would never do what God wanted them to do. And the same is true in your life and my life. If we decide that we're going to go one day as the father of our homes, walking in our flesh, then we've set our family up for success, or for failure, excuse me. 
We must be surrendered to God. We must be strong in the Lord. That only comes when we are established in the Word of God. Once we're convinced of who He is and what He is to us, we can find our strength in the Lord. Not in self, but in God. I find a third thing here. Another lesson that Joshua, excuse me, Joshua would need to learn is he needs to be established in the Word. He needs to find strength in God. But notice with me thirdly, if Joshua is going to lead this great people, he will have to learn to find God's strength and weakness. To be strong in the Lord is not only relying upon and trusting in God's strength when He is on the top of the mountain. It's not only about trusting God when everything is going well. It's not about trusting God when He is in full health and full strength. It's about trusting God in His times of weakness. It takes a spiritually mature individual to place their confidence in God when they're going through the valley. To place their dependence upon God when things are not going well for them. He must find God's strength in weakness. You know, Joshua, he had a big task. Again, he's leading a nation that is known for rebellion. He's going to be leading a nation that is known for revolting and rebelling against their leader to the extent of wanting to kill their leader. How many times did they talk about stoning Moses? How many times did they talk about, I'm done with this, I'm returning to Egypt. It was better back in Egypt in slavery than to be here where I can see the presence of God leading me day in and day out. They were a Difficult people to lead. People are problems. And Joshua had over a million problems. And yet, he was not a perfect man. Again, he was going to have difficulties. We know that there were battles that he was going to have to face. As he would enter in the promised land, you had the people that possessed the land currently. They had walled cities. There were giants in the land. The difficulties were real. They were big. They were large. And he was going to not only just have to lead them, he would have to lead them into war. He would have to go into battle. He would have to lift the sword and go to war and fight. You see, he had to find God's strength and his weakness because difficult days were ahead for Joshua. It was not smooth sailing. The Christian life is not just a life of smooth sailing where nothing ever goes wrong. The Christian life is a life of ups and downs. It's a life of depending upon God in our valleys, in our difficulties, in our trials. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Bible tells us the road ahead is not easy but it's worth it. And God can get glory through our trials and our circumstances. He needs to find strength in His weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then... Am I strong? The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians to live. Again, he's another man who knew what it was to walk with God, to be in the presence of God. Like Moses, the Apostle Paul was blessed with the um, blessing of pinning part of the Word of God. And he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I not only uh, go through these trials and circumstances, but Paul says, I take pleasure in them. Notice the language again. I take pleasure. Another passage says, I glory in, in infirmities, reproaches, persecution, distresses. Now, if you just read that, you think for a moment, a moment, man, Paul's an odd duck. Who would glory in tribulation? Who would take pleasure in distress and infirmities? He's kind of an odd fella. But no, the secret is Paul knew God. 
Paul had an intimate relationship with the Lord that others just did not understand. He says, when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is saying is, I have come to the place in my walk with God where I understand that when my strength runs out, when I get to the place where I no longer know the answers and I don't know what to do, that is when God's strength kicks in. That is when God steps in the way and God's Holy Spirit begins to move and work in my life. And by the way, when God steps in because your strength has run out and your abilities have run out and you recognize, I can't, God can, and we go to these weaknesses and our infirmities and our distresses and we get to our lowest low and our strength is to pleaded, we're gone. Like the psalmist said, I'm at my wit's end. That is when the power of God takes over in our lives. And by the way, God's power will do more through you than you can ever do through yourself. He recognized something. When I am in distress, when I'm being persecuted, when I don't know the right way to go, God will take over for me. God will lead me. God will direct me. Philippians, the Bible says, Everything that has happened to me has happened rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Paul being in prison, being in jail, being in bonds, he says, I recognize that my infirmities, my imprisonment, my beatings have been to the furtherance of the gospel because where I am trapped in chains, unable to do anything, God is able to do much more through me than I could ever do in these chains. Philippians also says that the brethren waxed bold through my bonds. Wait a minute. Not only was Paul finding strength in God in his weakest moments, he says the brethren, everyone around him that's watching what he's going through is strengthened by what? His bonds. They're strengthened by Paul's infirmities, not because of what he endured, but how he endured them. His testimony, his character in the trial. He had faith in God. You see, it is in our darkest times that God gives us strength. Therefore, the child of God has no excuse to fail. We have no excuse to bow down, to quit, because we have the strength of Almighty God upon our side. We can take God at His Word. We can claim His promises. Be strong. Find God's strength in your weakness. He's there. He's able to give you the help that you need. Notice with me, fourthly, And this idea of being strong, these lessons that Joshua needed to learn. Fourthly, we see that if he was going to lead a people, then he would have to be strong while others are weak. He would have to be strong while others are weak. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 1, again, the Apostle Paul says, "...we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves." We then which are strong ought bear the infirmities of the weak. Again, Joshua is stepping into a leadership role. His life is changing. And he in his life, in his ministry, is now over a group of people, over a nation. And these people, listen, they were filled with hurting people. There are people, and as you look look at the ministry, as you look at God's vineyard, you look into the ministry, we find that the ministry is not a church building, it's not a, a list of programs, it's not facilities. The ministry is people. That's where God has called us to minister, to people. People have problems. People are hurting all the time. Our churches are filled with hurting people. Our country is filled with hurting people, both spiritually and physically. And the Bible says, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. 
You know, Joshua would have to realize that as a nation, he is the man of God. He is to represent Jesus Christ to this people. They're hurting. They're struggling. They have spiritual battles. They have physical battles. And he would have to be the one that would find strength in God to be able to help them, to build them up and to lift them up. That's what a pastor does. He has been called by God to take a group of people and lead them up spiritually, to lift up their arms spiritually for the cause of Christ. Why? Because we're people. We fail, we struggle, we have difficulties, we hurt. And so Joshua would have to learn to be strong even when those around him are weak. The Bible says to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I believe tonight that there has never been a greater need in all of our country. The history of America tonight is the greatest need we've ever had for saints of God to show strength to a weaker generation. Those who have been saved for many years, listen to me, if you're out in the audience tonight and you've got the gray hairs and you've served God for many, many, many years, it's not time to retire on God. There is a younger generation, there is a weaker generation who needs your knowledge, your faith, your help, your prayers. Our country needs the Word of God, needs to understand how to be strong in the Lord. We need to bear the infirmities of the weak. As I think of this, I have the picture of Moses in the book of Exodus as the nation of Israel went out to battle against the Amalekites. And Moses is up on the mountain. As long as his hands were raised, Israel was prevailing in the battle. And yet, as great a man as Moses was and as uh, talented and as gifted as Moses was, guess what? He was not beyond having difficulty. He was not beyond, beyond moments of weakness. And there came a moment when his arms and his hands began to wax tired and he began to be weak and his hands began to come down. And in that moment, the Amalekites began to prosper in the battle. And yet there were men that were there with Moses, Aaron and Hur, who said, come, hold on a minute, Moses, let me put the rock under your arms. Let me come up. Let me help you and lift up your arms and hold you up. I'm going to help you. I'm going to bear your burden with you. What is that? That's showing strength when others are weak. That is what God has called us to do here in this church, around the world, in our community. We must be strong. He says once again, we that are strong. What does that mean? We who are established in the Word. We who are strong in the Lord. We who have got to the place where we find strength in our weaknesses must bear the infirmities of the weak. Lift them up. Go after those that are backslidden, those that have fallen. Don't trample over them. Don't look down and make fun of and mock and kick them when they're down. Pick them up. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Lesson number one, Joshua needed to learn to be strong. Now, I promise you the next three will go by much quicker. Quicker. Number two, notice with me the next phrase. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Of a good courage. The second lesson Joshua would need to learn is that of courage. This has the idea of strength in the face of pain or grief. To have a holy boldness is what I like to call it. Again, Joshua was facing a difficult people, a difficult nation. If he was going to stand up without bending, bowing, breaking, compromising, quitting on God, he would have to show some holy boldness. You and I in the ministry as God's people, we have to show boldness because the day is approaching in our country where it's not easy to serve God. It's not easy to take a stand. We are in the minority facing a great crowd that has turned their back upon God. And if we're going to continue to be successful, 
successful, we're going to have to develop some backbone for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to have holy boldness. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about being puffed up with pride because of who I am, but having enough boldness in who God is and who I serve that I will stand up for Him without compromising, no matter what it may cost me, because I love and I serve the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. Joshua would face war, battle, the walls of Jericho, the giants in the land, the difficulties of leading a people. He would have to develop some holy boldness. By the way, God commanded him to have courage. It wasn't something he just could muster up in and of himself. God says, I'll give you the courage, but you better rely on me. Surrender to me. Trust me. I'll give you all that you need. Be strong and of a good courage. Notice with me thirdly, he says, be not afraid. The idea of dreading or fearing. I said at the beginning, I don't know what Joshua's emotions were. I don't know what he may have been feeling as he has been told that he will now be the leader of this people. But I do believe that God had a reason for encouraging him. God had a reason for telling him, don't be afraid. Could it be that Joshua was a little fearful? Well, if he had any common sense at all, he probably was. We don't see where the Bible says, "...and Joshua the son of Nun was frightened." However, it's a natural thing. He is stepping into the unknown. He's doing something he's never done before. And God is encouraging, God is admonishing him to fear not, neither be afraid." What is it that Joshua could fear? What is it that he had to be afraid of? What is it that you and I at times are tempted to fear in our walk with God? Let me give you a few things. Number one, if Joshua is going to be successful and if you and I are going to be successful and effective for Christ, then we need to not be afraid of God's will. Do not be afraid of the will of God. Joshua is recognizing by now, he's been told very plainly, Moses has laid his hands on him. Now God is speaking to him face to face, giving him instruction. He knows the will of God. He knows what's down the road. And perhaps it was a little fearful, a little frightening. I believe at some point in our lives, probably most of us have had moments where we have feared the will of God. We've been afraid of what God may call us to do or what He's asking for us to do. We see this in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men." Now you think about this. We have the uh, the disciples being called to Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to Peter and He tells Peter, listen, don't fear. Don't fear the, the will of God. From now on, you're going to fetch men. Peter is about to step out into the unknown with God and God is encouraging him not to be afraid of the will of God. Now you think about where Peter was. Peter was a fisherman by trade. His entire life he spent on the seas fishing to gain a living. That's what he knew. He knew fish, not people. He knew how to catch the fish, go to market, sell them, earn a living. He did not necessarily know people that well. And now God is telling him, I want you to leave everything you know, everything you've done. I want you to leave your way of living, how you provide for your family. And from now on, you're going to follow me. You're going to catch men. Peter is having to step into the unknown with the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, maybe he was a little fearful. Maybe he said, hold on a minute, Lord. This is how I make a living. What am I going to do? How will I provide for my family? God says, do not fear, just trust me. And if Joshua 
is going to serve God, he's going to have to not fear the will of God. You know, Joshua, he very well could have refused. He could have just stayed back and been part of the nation of Israel. He could have just continued to exist as a part of this nation rather than stepping into God's calling for his life. And it would have been a lot easier. It would have been what he knew how to do. And yet when God called him to step out into the unknown and do what only God could do through him, God said, trust me in this, don't fear. Friend, listen, I don't know what it is God may be dealing with you about tonight. It may be God's big plan for your life, what He wants you to do the rest of your life if you're a young person. If you are already walking in the will of God, but God recently has been dealing with you about something new. Maybe stepping into a bus ministry, singing in a choir, doing something different that you've never done before. Maybe God's dealing with you about going to a mission field or doing anything that you are not currently doing. I can tell you this. Just trust Christ. Don't be afraid of the will of God. I used to uh, work at the Bill Rice Ranch, a camp for teenagers, for Christians. It was a Christian camp. Worked there for three years, and oftentimes the preacher would get up, he'd preach a message on surrender or something along those lines, and I would notice there were a higher number of teenagers in those kind of messages where the evangelist would preach about surrendering to Jesus and doing God's will. There were a higher number of teenagers that would lift their hands and say, yes, God's dealing with me. Yes, God's speaking to me. But yet there were fewer that would respond in those invitations. They would acknowledge God speaking to me, but they'd never walk the aisle. They'd never get help. They would never go all the way with God and make the decisions. And so I had a habit of uh, week in and week out, if they were in my cabin especially, um, I would find some time throughout the week to approach them and say, Hey, I saw that God was speaking to you last night in church. Uh, why didn't you respond? And I would try to start a conversation with them and try to see what's going on in their heart and in their mind. And more times than not, just over and over again, the the fear that they had is they'd say, yes, I want to serve God. I want to do what's right, but I'm scared. I'm afraid. And it's a legitimate fear. And of course, we know the old adage, well, I don't want to go to Africa. God's going to call me to Africa. Or it may be God's going to call me to the ministry. God's going to call me to this and my family won't understand. My friends won't understand. And a fear of the will of God kept them from doing what God had called them to do. Friend, let me encourage you tonight. Do not be afraid of the will of God. Joshua had to get beyond his fear and accept God's calling and accept that God would equip him and enable him to do what he had been called to do. God has not given us the spirit of fear, power, Love and a sound mind. Fear does not come from God. It comes from the enemy. It comes from the devil. Notice with me, secondly, not only is he not to fear the will of, uh, the will of God, but we need to make sure in our lives that we not fear what men could do. Do not be afraid of what men may do unto you. Again, he knew the people. They rebelled against Moses. They wanted to kill Moses over and over again. They rebelled against God. Perhaps Joshua thought, well, if I stand strong like Moses stood... My life is in jeopardy. God's will is going to lead me into dangerous territories. God says, listen to me, friend. Do not be afraid of what men can do unto you. 1 Peter 3.14, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. 
conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the Spirit." God is saying, do not be afraid of what mankind may do unto you. Here in our country, we don't really have to fear so much of our lives being in danger. We don't really have to fear being thrown in jail unjustly, being beaten unjustly like the early apostles and disciples had. We don't have that kind of a fear, and yet the fear that we have has overtaken us. Oftentimes, We won't do the will of God because we're afraid of a door slamming in our face on visitation. We're afraid of being cussed out at a door. We're afraid of being ridiculed or embarrassed publicly. And God says, I shed my blood for you, the just for the unjust. Why would you be ashamed of me? God has given to us everything. He says, it is better for you to suffer for righteousness sake than for evil. Do what's right. Obey the will of God. And don't worry about what man may do unto you. Chances are, if you serve God in this country, your life will not be in danger physically. However, we do have missionaries and Christians on foreign soil whose lives are in danger day in and day out. There are people, because they stand for the Lord God of the Bible, they're being beheaded, they're being beaten, they're being tortured, and yet they're not ashamed of the cause of Christ. How selfish have we gotten in America? How ashamed are we of the Lord who shed His precious sinless blood for you and I? Do not be afraid of what mankind can do unto you. I believe that we have been crippled by Hollywood telling us that we have to be accepted socially. Listen, friend, I do not have to be accepted by the world. I need to be accepted by Jesus Christ. I have no business looking like imitating the world. I don't bend and bow to their standards. I stand with God and I do so unashamedly. Stand with the Lord. I believe that This fear of what mankind can do is a ministry killer. It will stop you in your tracks from serving God unless you place your fear in its rightful place. God says over and over, fear the Lord. Not mankind, fear God. Not trembling, but fear God, who He is. Be afraid of disappointing Him. Fear letting down your Father. Serve the Lord. Notice with me thirdly, and lastly here, do not be afraid of the future. Do not be afraid of the future. Joshua, he did not know exactly what was going to take place 10, 20, 30 years down the road, yet he had to have confidence that his future was secure. God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an accepted end. God knows our future. If we're going to stand for Christ, be effective for Christ, be the Christian we ought to be, the man, the lady that God's called us to be, then we need to get over our fear of what happens down the road. Look, I don't know what's happening in our country in five years, and it does not matter. I don't know what's happening in my life in five years. It does not matter because my future is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may live a long and a prosperous life, or God may take you home early through physical pain. It does not matter because in the end, your future is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows His thoughts He thinks toward you. He wants to give you an accepted end, not an evil end. Trust Jesus Christ. He has your future in His hands. Washington will not thwart the plan of God. Satan will not thwart the plan of God. 
Our future is secure in Christ. I graduated from Crown College, and uh, the president there, the pastor of the church, Clarence Sexton, many of you have heard the name, he used to tell us all the time, and it stuck with me, the proper fear of God removes all lesser fears. If I will fear God the way I ought to fear God, then I will not fear anything else in this world. I won't fear what man can do. I won't fear um, how somebody may respond to me. If I fear God and I want to please God with all of my heart, and I'm more afraid of letting Him down and hearing uh, you've been a wicked servant rather than hearing well done, if I will fear God properly, then it will remove from my life the fear of witnessing. It will remove from my life the fear of taking a stand. It will remove from my life the fear of just standing out and being separate from the world. Because my fear is where it should be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me fourthly and lastly tonight. Have not I commanded thee, be strong of a good courage, be not afraid. And then he says this, neither be thou dismayed. The fourth lesson that Joshua would have to learn is be not dismayed. That word dismayed has the idea of being discouraged. And God is telling Joshua, do not be discouraged. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God knew the difficulties that were coming. God knew Joshua would face trying times, hard circumstances, difficult things, battle after battle, a hard, stiff-necked people. You and I in our lives, we're going to face difficulties, trials, circumstances. We may face financial difficulties. We may face physical difficulties. We may face having to sit by and watch our family hurt and struggle or friends hurt and struggle. And yet God says, do not be discouraged. You may go out year in and year out every time we have church-wide visitation giving the gospel and you may never see anybody saved, but God says, do not be discouraged. You're laboring in my vineyard. You're doing the work of God. You may run a bus route. You may teach a Sunday school class and you just feel like God is not moving in your class and yet you've been faithful and you've been praying and you're preaching the word of God. God says, do not get discouraged. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. God said, Joshua, the task is hard. The task is difficult. My will is for you to lead this people, but do not get discouraged. Stay at it. Don't quit. Don't give up. We need to have some tenacity about us. Discouragement is a ministry killer. More preachers walk away from the pulpit because of discouragement. More bus workers stop running bus routes because of being discouraged. More people quit on God because they get discouraged. When we get discouraged, you know what that is? That's me looking at me and not being happy with my results rather than trusting God to give me in due season His results. Missionaries labor their entire lifetime never seeing a soul saved and yet they have planted millions of seeds that the next missionary will come by and be able to reap what that one who saw nobody saved had sown in that field. Don't get discouraged in the ministry. Stay firm. Notice with me the last phrase. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. When life changes, when God says, I've got a plan for you, I've got a will for you, 
And the lessons that you must learn in your life as a Christian is to be strong, to be of good courage, to be not afraid, to be not discouraged. How do you do it? What's the answer? What's the secret? How can you go through life strengthened in the Bible, strengthened in the Lord? How can you go through life unafraid of man? How can you go through life not being discouraged, having a holy boldness? We see the answer. The Lord our God is with us whithersoever we go. Every step I take, every breath I breathe, God Almighty is with me. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Friend, let me encourage you tonight. Be strong because the Lord your God is with you. Be of good courage because the Lord thy God is with you. Be not afraid. The Lord thy God is with you. Be not dismayed. The Lord thy God is with you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed.